Okay, if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can either open them or turn them on um, to, Tim- to Timothy chapter 1. Uh, that's in the New Testament, if you're unsure where that is. That's 2 Timothy chapter 1. Just as you're finding that, I'm just going to quickly explain what we've been doing over the last few weeks. If you don't know me, my name's Paul. Hello. Hi. <laughs> um, we've been looking at this idea of, um, can we... Can we do that, guys? Thank you. Uh, this idea of God has called us to be like Christ, but sometimes Christianity is a little bit different from Christ, and how we can find new joy in Christ, in Jesus, the more we become like him and not just reflect our society. And then the week after that, uh, we looked at um, the Bible, I think. Um, uh, yeah, let's go to the next uh, slide. Thank you. For some reason, it's not working this morning. So we looked at the God's called us to believe, and we looked at the Bible, and uh, we talked about how Bible studies are a little bit different from what Jesus had in mind. So two weeks ago, we uh, encouraged you to think about coming to a new type of Bible study called Havarim. It happens on a Tuesday night at our home. If you're interested in that, please see us later. It was great to see so many of you there on Tuesday. Almost a packed house, but we still have room for more. And then the, the week after that, uh, we looked at um, what church is that we're chosen to be part of his church and that church is not a club, it's a place where, next slide please, where we come to give and not to get. So this morning, what Lynn did, uh, the Foxy Lynn, is she encouraged us to share something that happened during the week, as opposed to simply come to church to give us strength for the rest of the week. God is with us all week long, he can speak to us all week long, he can encourage us all week long, and this is actually the place to tell people about that. This is a place to worship him. So today, we're going to talk about prayer, um, and we're going to talk about uh, this word, power. So 2 Timothy, verse 1, says this, For this reason, I remind you to flam, in, uh, flam? <laughs> to um, flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So God, if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, then God has not put within you a spirit of timidity and weakness to be afraid of the world, but he's given us power and strength and courage. Now, um, for those of you who know me, I'm very um, much um, in touch with my feminine side. Uh, What I mean by that is uh, I will have a bath with candles. So that's kind of thing. So where we used to live in Manchester, we had a small house and it was always busy. We had lots of meetings there. Uh, we had two little boys and Lynn. It was, it was like 600, 700 square feet. So the place I would retreat, I'm being very vulnerable telling this, the place I would retreat to was have a bath. I'd put candles out, lots of bubbles, and it was kind of, kind of cool. I thought, this is my place to retreat from the world. And, but my problem was we didn't have a lock on our bathroom door, and my three-year-old son called Levi often would come in to do his ablutions, and he would sit there, and for some reason, he thought I wanted a running commentary of what was happening. So he'd tell me what was going on. And then every so often, he would ask me questions. And he would have a conversation. And I'm like, I just want to just let me have a bath. And, he'd be, and one day he came in and he asked me what the meaning of, what was it? The, what's the, Dad, what's the meaning of life? And I thought, well, that's like three-year-old. That's pretty impressive. So I tried to explain it to him. Wasn't getting anywhere. He was looking more confused. And then he finally said, no, Dad, what's the meaning of wife? And I thought, I've got no answer to that one at all. And I thought, I'm in, I'm in my bath, I'm trying to have a bit of peace and quiet, and then he comes and asks me an awkward, conversa- an awkward question. And that's what's going to happen this morning. Uh, most of us would come, 
we're here, we want to be comfortable, we want to meet with the Lord, meet with each other, and I'm going to ask you one of those awkward questions. And here's the awkward question. 2 Timothy also says this, In the last days there will be those who, having a form of godliness, but deny its power. Here's my question. Is there power in your religion? Is there power in your faith? So, um, let me see if I can get this to work. Nope. Thanks, guys. So, um, when I was younger, uh, when I first became a minister um, in my kind of mid to late 20s, um, um, in my network of churches, there was a guy called Smith Wigglesworth from yesteryear. He was one of those old preachers. And there were all sorts of stories about this guy. He would go around praying for people and people would be healed. And uh, on the day, uh, one of the days I was being ordained, this older guy came up to me, quite an old, frail guy, who was discipled by this guy. And he wrote a little book on his experiences with this guy. And he, and he used to give all the new ministers one of these books. So I read this book, some incredible stories. Some of them, I'll be honest, hard for me to even believe they were so crazy. My favorite story was of a guy, this guy, he's called Smith Wigglesworth. And apparently, so this guy told me, one day he was on a train and Smith Wigglesworth got on the train and there was a guy reading the newspaper opposite him. And Smith Wigglesworth didn't do anything, just sat there. And eventually this guy apparently threw down his newspaper and said, okay, I'll give him, what must I do to be saved? I'm thinking, I wish I could do that. I wish I could just like go with my eyebrows and people like become Christians. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Like, but I know that's not me. And sometimes, like Mark said so well uh, earlier on, I, I ask, well, where's that power you, you see in the Bible? Jesus made some impressive claims he said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. That sounds impossible to me. But Jesus made this promise. So are there some kind of keys to prayer where our prayer can become more effective? Um, one of my other heroes, uh, more recently, is a lady called Jackie Pullinger. When she was 20 years old, she went to Hong Kong. Specifically, she went to uh, this place, which is the walled city. I'll press it one more time. Uh, the walled city uh, was a no-go zone for the rest of Hong Kong. The police wouldn't go there. It was run by triad gangs. When she got there, she gave out literature, Christian literature. Nothing happened. When she got there, she prayed for people. Very little happened. And then she had a spiritual experience. I haven't got time to go into that. And she started to pray for people, and suddenly things started to happen. Her prayers went from being fairly ineffective to pretty effective. And what would happen was her speciality, if you like, was she would pray for triad gangs to come off drugs. And eventually, more and more of the triad gangs would bring their broken and hurted to her, and they would come off drugs cold turkey without going through all that kind of um, pain that they would normally go through. In 1993... The triad gangs had diminished so much that the place was rebuilt. Now it looks like this. Uh, that's what it looked like, I should say. Now it looks like this. Um, Hong Kong University gave her a doctorate, an honorary doctorate, and uh, the Queen of England uh, gave her an MBE, which is one step down from knighthood. Because not single-handedly, but with a team of people, the prayer of these teams, and you can watch, there's a documentary on it in Britain, you can watch it, and you see them praying for people and them coming off drugs, cold turkey. I want to be able to do that. I want to, and I ask myself the question, is there any power in my religion? So as we look at prayer, um, let, let's think about this, this verse. It says in James 5, verse 16, 
Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That implies that the prayers of some people are not powerful and effective. And it also makes me ask the question, what does righteousness look like when it comes to prayer? So a few years ago, I, I discovered something that made a lot of sense to me and helped me understand uh, the Word of God, particularly Jesus' words a lot better, and particularly in the area of prayer. Now, if you know anything about me yet, you know I like to study the Word of God. And in particular, I'm always asking the question, what did Jesus really mean? And what I find is... Understanding his context, understanding where he's from, understanding the manners and customs of the day, particularly understanding the religion of Judaism, helps me. And the Jews have this question they've argued about for a long time. I'm going to put up the question. Um, I know it, uh, I'm going to decipher this for you in a moment. Um, some say mitzvot require kavanah. Some say mitzvot don't require kavanah. What does that mean? It's a bizarre phrase. Well, mitzvot means commandments. I'm sure many of us have heard of the phrase a bar mitzvah that a Jewish boy goes through. Bar means son of, mitzvah means commandments. So when they get to an age where they're responsible for their own spirituality, they go through a bar mitzvah. They become the son of the commandments. For a girl, it's a year younger, I think it's a bat mitzvah. So mitzvah means commandments. So some say commandments require kavanah. Some say commandments don't require kavanah. Um, Jesus would say a big yes to this. Jesus would say, absolutely, when you do a commandment, it requires this thing called kavanah. So what is kavanah? The problem with the word kavanah, one of the reasons we don't hear it preached in Christian churches is there's no English word for it. And the nearest English word is the word intention. But what it really means is this. To have kavanah means that when you uh, fulfill a commandment, you have two things. An awareness of God's presence and an awareness of God's purpose for what you're doing. That when you're aware of God's presence and purpose, what you're doing is seen as righteousness. Now, when I've heard rabbis teach on this, they've given case scenarios. I'm going to share a couple with you. So, for instance, one of the case scenarios uh, where a rabbi was asking his students this question, he said this, he said, um, a Jew goes to the baker's to buy bread. And that particular day, all the bread's almost sold out. The only bread he can find is unleavened bread. So he buys the unleavened bread, he takes it home. When he gets home, he realizes it's one of the special festivals where you're only supposed to eat unleavened bread. And that's the only bread he's got, and he eats it. And the rabbi asked the, 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 his disciples, did the man fulfill the commitment, the commandment, yes or no? And the answer was, what do you guys think? Yes or no? No. Because it just happened, it was just, he just happened to have no. Another, another one was interesting. He said um, a Jewish man is, um, is uh, bottle feeding uh, his baby and he's cooking some meat at the same time in a pan. And as he, as he uh, splashes the milk on his wrist to see if it's warm enough or too hot, a little bit splashes over into the meat. Well, um, it was only a small amount. And in Jewish law, you're not supposed to mix meat with milk. So the rabbi asked the disciples, it was only a couple of splashes. If it's less than a 60th, it's not a problem. But did he break the commandment, yes or no? And the group said, no, no, because he, he didn't do it with any kind of intention. And the guy said, okay. So the rabbi said, so the next day he walks in, and this day he thinks, I'm going to be a bit rebellious. So I'm going so to get a little bit, I'm just going to dab a little bit of milk in the meat. Just a couple of splashes. 
Now did he break the commandment universally? Yes, absolutely. The rabbi says, of course. But it's interesting, the chemical properties didn't change at all. It's something about the direction of the heart. And Karen knows when you direct your heart towards God in what you do. So in worship, when I raise my hands, I'm doing it because I'm not just because I want to put my hands up in the air, but because I'm saying to God, I'm surrendering. This, this song means something to me. I'm surrendering to you. Not everybody has to do that. But if I just did it for show, I'm not fulfilling the commandment. It's, it's something to do with the heart. And the Bible is saying, and what Jesus is saying is when we, when we pray with an awareness of God's purpose for what we're praying and an awareness of God's presence, our prayers will be so much more effective. Um, I don't like to brag, but this morning, uh, I feel a bit awkward saying this, but I didn't murder anybody. I know, thank you, Becky. I got up and I fulfilled the command. I didn't murder a single person. That doesn't really mean anything, does it? Because hopefully none of us murdered somebody today. Now, if this morning I'd gone up and somebody was stealing my car and I was about to kill them to stop them, shoot them or something, but I decided not because their life is more, more valuable to God than my car is to him, then did I fulfill the commandment? Absolutely. Because I did it with direction in my heart. I was thinking of God's purposes and thinking of God's presence. And this makes so much sense when you listen to some of the other things that Jesus said. So in John 14, verse 14, Jesus says to the disciples, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. But then he also says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. That's confusing. Because they pray in his name, they do amazing things, and yet Jesus says, I didn't know you. So it can't simply be just doing things, can it? It's doing things because Jesus is Lord of our lives, and we're doing them for his purposes. And we're doing them with an awareness of his presence in our hearts and in our lives. Now, not in a legalistic way where, oh my goodness, I didn't do that thinking about Jesus. But we're going through our lives with that sense of I'm living for him. And I think this affects many other things apart from just prayer. So worship says, yet a time is coming, Jesus says, and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father speaks. And many years ago, Lynn and I went to two different countries almost back to back. We were in the Caribbean. I went to a church in Barbados. It was amazing. I loved it. Crazy. It was very, very loud and very, very active. The worship was very different. Basically, somebody would get up. They would do, a, they would do like a presentation of a song. The congregation would get really excited about it. And they'd worship God with this song for about 20 minutes. And then that person would sit down. Somebody else would get up. And if it took off, it took off. And if it didn't, it would last five minutes. It was amazing. There were tambourines. There was mood. I absolutely loved it. It was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed it. You can really sense the presence of God and the joy of God. Two weeks later, I, I was in this place. Um, I can put the screen up. Um, this is a, a cha chapel in um, a university, uh, St. Andrews in Scotland. This is actually where royalty goes to, um, to, to learn. So I think William and I think Harry went here. Um, and this is the chapel. Um, and I was asked to preach there. 
before you asked me afterwards, there was no royalty present when I, I taught. Um, this is a pre. This built, church was built pre-Reformation, so in the 1300s. So the pulpit's right in the corner because preaching of the word wasn't really that important in those days when this church was built. It was more about people sitting opposite each other, and they would learn scripture by singing to each other. So they would sing a psalm. One, one. Um, the right-hand side would sing one uh, verse. The other side would sing another verse. And they'd sing it back. And this place was posh, man. I mean, like, really posh. I walked there. And I'm from Manchester, not the poshest place, in, the least poshest place in England, probably. I'm walking in, and uh, the first thing they say to me is, um, I guess you'd like to see the um, staffs, the famous staffs of St. Andrews. And I'm like, never heard of them, but didn't want to tell them that. Sure, you'd love to. They open this safe. They got this big velvet cloth. They bring out these gold staffs. And they put them on, and then they step back and go. <laughs> and the pressure was on. I had to think of something really intelligent to say. And I'm not intelligent. And I'm thinking, all right, what do I say? So the only thing I could come up with, how much are they worth? That's the only <laughs> thing I could think of. And the guy literally did this. He went, they're insured for 15 million. We're going to put them away right now. And they kind of put them away and put them away. You can see him thinking, this guy's from Manchester. We're putting them back in a lock, Ricky. The next thing I know, I'm walking down the aisle. They're all dressed in these robes. I'm walking down the aisle. I'm getting to the bottom. I look around. Everybody's like dressed really posh. They had a singing item, but it was, they were singing in Latin. And they were out, you can't even see, behind where the camera is here. It was a completely different experience from the one in Barbados. And it was completely, in many ways, felt quite dead and lifeless. And I felt challenged in that moment by God. Are you worshipping the service and the music or me? Because I've not changed. And worship is about the direction of your heart. It's not about something that's influenced necessarily just by what's happening around you. It's a heart thing. And in some ways, I wondered if when I worshipped there, it was almost more authentic because I wasn't being hyped up at all. Now, I actually love them. I, I prefer to go to the, the church in the Caribbean. But it was, a, it was a really challenging experience for me. It says this about giving in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, so we don't make a big thing about giving. If you want to give, we have uh, this can. The reason we've got the fuel can there is we want to create cavernor. We want to help people to think when they give, they're not giving for a building, uh, they're not giving for, for um, a person. I don't earn anything. We're not, uh, we're not giving to a person. They're giving to fuel the mission. When we give, when we tithe, it's not a tax. When we give, we're giving to destroy the works of the enemy. We're giving. Uh, we're giving so in our youth ministry we can go and we can reach out to young people. Uh, what we want to do is eventually we're talking about prayer. We want to do healing on the beach locally. Uh, we want to put up a little flag that says healing. That's what I'd like, I'd like to do at least. Put some chairs out where people on a Saturday morning, if they wanted to, they could come sit on a chair and we can pray for them. We want people to encounter God. We want to fund those kind of things, the ways we can reach the city. Maybe the things are certain areas in Arlington where we can do the same thing. That's what we're about. And we want to raise people's cavernor so that when we're doing these things, when we're worshipping, when we're giving, when we're listening to the word of God, we're doing it with that sense of God's here. And what's God's purpose for this, not mine? And I, I think there are, there are just a couple of ways that maybe we veered away from God's intention when it comes to prayer. And um, um, I'm going to use the word politics. Now, before um, this could sound a little bit controversial, let me just underline something. We as Christians should definitely get involved in injustice, um, right and wrongs, 
We should be speaking into poverty. We should be speaking into the way our countries run. We should be speaking to all these things. But for me, what worries me is this, is that sometimes it's as though the church has forgotten that prayer and the power of God are the things that can change our, trans, uh, our society, and we've resorted to politics. But actually, what's going to change our society is not politics, it's prayer, and it's people living with Kavanaugh following the Lord Jesus. So how do we get back to that? How do we realize, even in our personal lives, we can resolve to politics. You know, sometimes we have misunderstandings with people. People let us down. We don't get our way the way we want to get our way. And rather than going to God in prayer, we cavener, we play politics. And we manipulate situations. And we speak to people, hoping they're going to say to another person. And we use, there was a word I learned when I first came here, a phrase uh, 12 years ago. And it's gone completely out of my mind. Passive aggression. We use those kind of things. But actually, we need to go to the Lord and prayer and trust that the power of prayer makes a real difference. So, so briefly, just as we think practically about that, what can we do? Well, first of all, um, thanks for the next screen, please. We can be intentional in our prayer. Do you know the Jews have, and we're not trying to be Jews here because um, I'm not Jewish, um, but there is some th- interesting things to learn from Jesus' day. They have something like 100 prayers that are called barakas, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. That's the Manchester version. A bracket is a short prayer, like a sentence, but it acknowledges two things. It's like a prayer praise, and basically acknowledges God's presence and God's purpose for something. So, for instance, um, if I, if Matt, can you just bring me that chair just really quickly? If I was to sit on this chair and I was going to practice this, I'm not saying we do this, but if I was to do this, what I would say is, Lord, thank you for this chair. You made it, you gave us a skill. Thank you that when I sit on this chair, it gives me rest so I can be strong for your purposes. Now, I don't go around doing that. I've got to be honest. But having that intention about things is important in my prayer, that when I'm praying things, that I acknowledge God in that, you know. Lord, thank you for this room you've provided for us that we can worship you and encourage each other in it. That kind of, just natural. If we could be naturally intentional about what we do, have some kind of intentional. So the next time you pray, are you aware that God's there? And you aware of his purpose, not just yours, for what you're praying. If we, if we have that, I want to suggest to you, from what I can understand from the reading of the word, our prayers will be more effective. So let's pray for the sick, um, not simply because we love them, but because God loves them. Let's pray for the restoration, not simply so we can be friends again, but so they can serve the Lord and know him. How can we involve this? Um, There's some really weird, I'm going to read one to you. I I thought, should I do this or not? But I thought I will just because I can't help them. My wife says I have no filter. So this is a bathroom blessing. This is a real thing. Just notice, awareness of God's presence and purpose. Blessed is he who has formed man in wisdom and created in him many orifices and many cavities. It is obvious and known before your throne of glory that if one of them were to be ruptured or one of them blocked, it would be impossible for man to survive and stand before you. That's a strange, that's a real prayer in Judaism. Okay, Cynthia's going to be a really weird look. Uh, but it's a, it's a, a real prayer. And, uh, and as strange as it might be, and I'm not going to go around saying that prayer, this idea of intentionality, part of, of what we're doing. Second word is this, just very quickly. Habitually. Uh, our prayer life being habitual, I think, is a really important thing. Smith Wigglesworth, who I mentioned before, said this. I rarely pray for longer than 15 minutes. 
but 15 minutes rarely goes by without me praying. That habitually prayer is something of our life because we're aware of God's presence, we're thinking about his presence, and we're thinking about his purposes for what we're doing. It seems to me as I read the word of the Lord, that, that would make our prayer life so much more effective. One of the things we don't realize is how much, how much Jesus was influenced by the people of his day. Um, so parables, we know Jesus tells parables. What many of us don't realize is that probably about half, well maybe not half, quite a few of Jesus' parables are actually versions of other people's parables. Um, there are many parables of the four here, as Gamaliel had one. Uh, there's one about the parable of the four fish, one about the parable of four kitchen utensils, and then Jesus throws in the parable of uh, the sower, the four types of soil. And what Jesus is constantly doing is helping us understand the spirit that God is looking for. You know, Beethoven, Beethoven and Mozart never invented a single note, did they? What they did was they helped us, they helped us find music that none of us knew was there. It was always available, but nobody put it together in that way before. What Jesus comes, he doesn't get rid of the law, but he helps us understand the spirit of the law. What was God's purposes behind the law? He joins it in a way that we never saw it before. And that's what we're trying to connect with as, as we're intentional. So one of the groups that came before Jesus that preceded the Pharisees was, was called the Hasidim. The Hasidim were famous. It's not like the modern Hasidic Jews now. But the Hasidim of two and a half thousand years ago were famous because they had incredible effectiveness in their prayer. And it was all about being fluid. One guy who was very famous at the time, uh, when he was asked about how, how his prayers were so effective when he would pray for people, he would say this, if my prayer in my mouth is fluent, I know it's been accepted. And if not, I know it's not been accepted. Uh, what he meant by that was, I'm kind of in this relationship with the Lord, and I, I can almost tell now if the Lord's hearing me or not. That's only happened to me once in my life. Uh, in my late 20s, early 30s, um, I was preaching on a Tuesday night, and uh, some people came forward for prayer. And as I walked to them, and this has never happened to me before or since, as I, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, this one's going to be healed now, this one's going to be healed in six months' time. It was really strange. And that's exactly what happened. This one got, got healed. They had a, a um, problem with arthritis, and the other one got healed. I met them about a year later, and they told me about six months later they'd been healed. It was an amazing experience for me as much as it was for them. But it was that sense of relationship as opposed to, I live my life, then I stop, I sit down, and this is a time when I pray. A sense of awareness of God's presence and purpose as we're going through life. And think about his purposes for our prayers, not just ours. Finally, opportunity. So it was interesting in what Mark said, because um, he almost stole the words from my mouth when he first started speaking. Um, missionaries used to annoy me, which is kind of weird because now I make missionaries, but missionaries used to annoy me. And the reason they used to annoy me was this. I'd go to church when I, when I was a young man. I once was young, when I was about 15, 16, not long after I'd become a Christian. And missionaries would come to our church. Now, I don't know if you go to church regularly, but every so often missionaries would come. And they would always get up and they would tell these incredible stories, a bit like the ones Mark just told before. And I'd be like, man, I'd be like, well, why is that? That's not happening in Manchester. Why is that not happening in Manchester? I don't see that. I've not seen that happen before. How do I know this is even real? And then I kind of, over a period of time, figured out this simple equation. And that is that God's power is always greater than the opportunity you give him. If you give him small opportunities, you won't see a lot of his power. But if you step out in faith... 
to a place where if God doesn't turn up, you're in trouble, you're going to see him move if you're doing his will. So if God tells you to do something, like I'm going to go on the streets and I'm going to tell people that God's got a healing, I'm going to put up a great big banner and I'm going to pray for people to come and sit in their chair, that's stepping out in faith. I mean, how many of us would do that right now if we said, let's go do it? Okay, okay, good. The only one with the hand up was you. Most of us, most of us would be like, oh, I've got something in the oven. But the reality is if, if, you, if you increase the opportunity you give God, you'll see power. You'll see God's power. That's what's happened in my life. I've been put in places where I've had to do things like that, where I've had to say to people, you know, people have said to me in a school, well, do you believe in prayer? Do you believe God can heal me? Well, yeah, well, let's pray together. It's, it's those times I've seen God's, I've seen very little of God's power happen in the church, I'll be honest with you. I've seen a lot happen in schools and on the streets. I, I've seen things that have eventually been reported on the news. I've seen God move. It's, it's incredible. But God's power is greater than the opportunity. Given the small opportunity, you might not see a lot of power. Do something, not just make something up, do something you know God wants you to do and step out where you're really taking a bit of a step of faith and you may see something incredible happen. You know, this morning you might not be a Christian and you might be asking the question, well, is God real? Is he around? I'm not sure. Maybe try something like this. Maybe have an awareness of God's presence. Say, God, if you're there, I believe you're going to be there and I'm going to do something for your purpose, not for mine, for your purpose. I'm going to step out and see what God does. I'm not promising you anything, but God does. So that's a risk for me to say, because something may not happen, but I've seen God move in incredible ways and incredible power. We're, we're going to finish this morning. Just before I, I show a little, um, I'm going to show you a little video in one second, and then I'm going to make one comment about where I think joy comes from when it comes in prayer. And then we'll give people the opportunity to be prayed for if you would like prayer. So um, this video is from a documentary. Just to help you, when I... Sorry, what's okay, guys? Just, just to help you, because I'm, um, I'm, I'm like a little bit of a cynic. In fact, I'm not. I would say I'm optimistic, but my optimism comes from cynicism. <laughs> I'm quite cynical, so I like to check things out. So if you're like me and I watch this video, I'm like, well, I don't know who this guy is, but just so you know, Mark and Becky know this guy really well. The guy with the bald head and the glasses. So talk to them afterwards to find out. But this was a documentary uh, about um, Christian mission, I think. So, so. Um, for some of you, that'd be a really strange clip. Um, I've been in those situations uh, plenty of times and uh, seen stuff. And uh, if you want to find out more about what I went on in that video, then talk to Mark and Becky afterwards. Um, but we want to give people an opportunity for prayer. I would imagine most of us need prayer today. And um, uh, most of us have uh, situations we could do with prayer uh, for. Um, Howard, do you mind if I mention what happened to me? Um, this, morning, uh, this morning, Howard came in and was, was setting up all the chairs and stuff and Asked him how he was, and his uh, mother, he lost his mother last night at three in the morning. And um, some of us, we come to church and we don't know the pain that others are carrying uh, with us unless we ask. And um, this morning, we want to uh, give you opportunity. So I'm going to ask uh, Mark and Becky and Lynn, if that's okay, just to go over, over in that corner right now, if you can. Um, we're going to stand in a moment. We're going to sing a little bit more and worship. We're going to finish in two, three minutes. If you'd like prayer, or you would like to join with someone to pray for someone else, so you know a family member you'd like to pray for, someone you care about, then we would just encourage you as we stand, as we worship, just to go in the corner and, and go up to Mark or Becky or Lynn, ask them to pray with, with, for you or with you as you pray for someone else. Um, if you notice in that video, the guy said two things at the very beginning. We know God's here, acknowledge God's presence, and God loves you. 
And that's the purpose for what he's doing. Well, God's here and God loves you. And, and as we pray, uh, as we, uh, with an understanding of God's presence and God's purpose, I believe God can do great things this morning. So let's stand right, and I think Caitlin's going to come out, and we're going to worship. Let me just pray, and um, just as Ryan starts to play, if you would like to go into the corner and just pray with them, that would be fantastic, and uh, we'll see what God does. And then afterwards, I'll, I'll finish, and uh, we'll spend some time just chilling out together. Let me pray. Let's just bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you uh, because uh, your word says that we're not to live life um, in a timid fashion, but we are empowered by you. You've given us this ability to pray, to communicate with you, to listen and to speak to you, and that you want to answer our prayers. Lord, there are many this morning, I know, Lord, who have maybe never experienced that. Uh, there are some this morning who we have experienced amazing things, but I pray for each and every one of us, you would remind us that you've given us not a spirit of fear, but of power, and remind us that you are with us all day long, and teach us your purposes for things that we have in our lives.